All right, well, welcome to this episode of the Texas Tech edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jackson Moody. We'll go ahead and take a look back at Texas Tech getting a huge win over TCU, finally reclaiming that saddle 35-28 to on a Thursday night. What that means for the season as a whole, and quite honestly, a pretty good offensive play call and performance by Zach Hitley. You have to tip your hat when, when he does it, and he did it on Thursday night. But basketball season is also starting tomorrow, and Texas Tech will take a look at expectations for the year to them. A look around 12 teams from the Big 12 were in action last night. What does that tell us going into this season? Just off the first glance. And while we will preview the basketball game at the end, we are going to have to talk about the catastrophe with the Big 12 football schedule. An absolute catastrophe for the next four years with what they did with the scheduling. Here we go. Before we get started, if you could leave a rating and review, that really helps us out out with growing the podcast. But going to this game on Thursday, and we're we're not going to spend too long on that because it was a while ago, but there are some key points from this game that we need to touch on. Just a really good performance by Texas Tech. And this defense, I I know what y'all are thinking. The secondary had some major issues, especially in the second half. This game should have been closed out a lot before it really was, and the secondary just couldn't get together. The blitz packages that Tim DeRuiter drew up, I thought were really good. I mean, you gave the TCU O-line fits all night. You didn't get home a ton. It is true that you did not get home a ton. I mean, you didn't record a single sack in the game. But you put him under pressure. You made a young quarterback make throws. That's what he was going for. And the secondary didn't quite hold up their end of the bargain. Although Josh Hoover, that pressure did force him to throw two picks in this game. Both to Dedrion Taylor Demerson. He had another one. uh, The Rabbit had another one that was chalked off. One more that he really should have made a pick on. And he had another one that he almost made a pick on. I mean, this could have been a five interception performance by Demerson in this game. But in the end, and Demerson, he did whiff on a touchdown there um, in this one. I, I believe it was TCU's opening touchdown right after we went up 7 nothing. But overall, came back, battled back, had a good game after that, got the touchdown to clinch it, got a huge touchdown when we got down a point to set us up really well there. So even with all the problems in the secondary, even with all of that, giving up 353 yards passing, he was 32 of 52. And they got two picks off of it. So going with a lot of man coverage when you were bringing pressure on the blitz, getting home, didn't quite work out how we wanted. I don't think we can quite play the same next week against Kansas because Jason Bean also can run the ball. So that's another threat that you have to look out for. But overall, despite a poor defensive showing, one of the worst secondary performances of the year, I don't hate the schemes that Tim DeRuiter drew up in this game by any means. I thought that you put a young quarterback under pressure and forced him to make some bad decisions with it. And overall, yes, there are going to be complaints about this game, but I put that more on execution than coaching. On the offensive side of the ball, Baron Morton looked the part. 28 of 36. There was a point where he was, I believe, 20 of 24 in this game. 282 yards, two touchdowns. He had another touchdown on the ground. I mean, this guy looked good. Um, And so what I talked about last week was 
I do not want us to run with a quarterback. And there were two play calling issues I had problems with. But and I don't know if I actually said this on here, but I was thinking, okay, you have two design QB runs. If you're Zach Kittley, that should be the limit. You have two design QB runs, and that is it. You're not doing anything after that. Well, from my memory, he stuck to two. The problem was the first one, absolutely great play call. He had the tight end in motion. He had uh, Taj Brooks on the right side. Everybody thought it was going there. It was by the goal line and just opened up a huge hole for Baron Morton to get into. Great play call by Zach Haley. No question about that. And even if he took a hit there, you put him in a position where there was a good chance he wasn't going to take a hit, and he didn't take a hit. The last one was that third down. At the end of the game, on third down, this one, and he stuck to what I hope, no more than two design QB runs. But this was just a stupid QB run. It was just asking for Baron Morton to get hit. I mean, I, I, honest to God, don't know what we were doing there. You have Taj Brooks in the backfield. Give it to him. Throw, even throw a wide receiver screen. Just something, something other than a design QB run where you know your guy's going to probably take a hit. And now, it all works out. Baron Morton was fine. He said after the game he was only 70% healthy, healthiest he's been since the West Virginia game. So great performance by him. Really a great team win. Um, Corey Eakin is far and away your best wide receiver, which is really disappointing. Jerram Bradley, one reception, 13 yards. It honestly looked like he gave up on one or two balls that were at, at him. Didn't go all out on it, which was disappointing. Xavier White and Miles Price, two guys that I talked about in the slot. Five receptions each. Miles Price with 50 yards. Xavier White with 71. Those three are your top three receivers. Xavier White, coming into the year, I probably would have said he's the fifth, sixth, maybe even seventh most talented wide receiver. But he was weirdly always pretty reliable. And he showed it again today. Five receptions for 71 yards. He's he's such a reliable wide receiver off option in the slot and this is a guy who started out I believe he started out as a receiver switched to running back and then came over back to receiver he may have just started as a running back and then switched to receiver but this is a guy who's worked hard to find his way on the field and boy is he making an impact even if it is in a disappointing season but overall I don't think you could have many complaints about this game I know there's going to be people that complain about it and look, it, it wasn't the best performance in the world, but it was still a pretty good performance. You got Taj Brooks, 31 carries. It looked pretty evenly spread out between first and second half. Cameron Valdez, he only got three carries in this game. I believe he was benched after kicking a TCU defender, which I will say this. The TCU defender was really standing on him, keeping him down. And look, you'd like to see Valdez keep his composure there. This is also against the TCU team that had a very questionable play against Baron Morton last season that got him knocked out of the game. So I don't really blame Cameron Valdez for the emotions there. I, I don't. I He's a young player. Um, you'd like to see him keep his cool, but it, you know what? This is also a TCU team that made some questionable hits The officiating wasn't quite interested in protecting players in this game and don't blame him on the other side uh defensively one other note Imani Bailey the guy who's averaging 5.8 yards a carry coming into this game 
19 carries for 57 yards, three yards a carry. You didn't get home on many plays. You were out Steve Linton, although other than Baylor, he hasn't gotten home much to begin with. But this defensive front, I thought played pretty dang well. I This defensive front, I don't have any problems with. They, they had that TCU O-line under pressure, forced bad throws, and then they held Imani Bailey to 19 carries on 57 yards. Uh, that's going to do it for the football talk until we talk about Big 12 schedules. We'll be back after the Texas Tech basketball game, recap that one against A&M Commerce, and then do our preview for Kansas. But moving on, to basketball tonight finally basketball season has arrived it kind of arrived last sunday when texas tech beat texas a&m in the charity exhibition scrimmage but expectations i gotta say have got to be to make the ncaa tournament with this team and i want to put just a little disclaimer on this or a little out for me if warren washington gets injured I think that changes things, that changes the expectations for Texas Tech this season a little bit, just a little bit, because he really is your only true big, the only true guy that can play center here, and a big problem for Texas Tech is going to be keeping him out of foul trouble this year. And now, so far in the early going, we haven't seen much from Big 12 bigs, Uh, just talking about Iowa State, Kansas State. Just off their games last night, Kaluma was one for, I think, 9, 10, 11. He was pretty bad for Kansas State last night. And Omaha Baloo obviously didn't look that great for Iowa State either. So maybe the big position is going to be a weakness in the Big 12 this year. It kind of looks like it for me, especially with Dylan Disu out at Texas. Obviously, you have Hunter Dickinson, who is good at Kansas. But... Looking ahead to this game tomorrow night against AM Commerce, um, there's not too much of a reason to go into in-depth preview on AM Commerce for this game. Just some notes. They played last night against AM. They lost 78 to 46. This is an AM team that you just beat. Uh, they had a couple guys scoring double figures. Jerome Brewer got 13. Kalen Williams got 10. So those were two, really their two lead scores. The other three in their starting rotation didn't get more than three points. They combined for six. And quite frankly, they had a couple guys who made some threes off the bench. Uh, Phelps went two for three from three. Abdul Mateen went one for three. But their starters last night went a combined one for 12 from three. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is a team that, quite frankly, should not be a threat to Texas Tech in any way. The only real reason to play this game is to to get some warm-up. And look, it's about to get real for Texas Tech after this game. You do play San Jose, who isn't San Jose State, who isn't a good Mountain West team, I think uh, is a fair way to say it. I don't think San Jose State is a team that's really a tournament contender ever in the Mountain West. But they are a Mountain West team. They are a quality, like the highest mid-major that you can be in. They are a quality team. And then you have one more game against A&M Corpus Christi before you go to the battle for Atlantis, where you open up with the top 25 Villanova. May have to play North Carolina in the next round. May have to play Michigan or Arkansas after that. So, it, just from a text text perspective, what do we want to see in this game? 
obviously last night the starter or last Sunday the stars were Pop Isaacs, Devin Cambridge, Joe Toussaint, Darion Williams, Warren Washington. Will that change? I could possibly see Darion Williams not being in the starting lineup for this one. I could see that if they want to go with Chance McMillan there instead, although I think Darian Williams gives you a bit more size, which is valuable with this team. He did get under 20 minutes. He was your seventh leading minutes guy last game. But I want to see if Pop Isaac struggles. Um, how bad are his struggles? Obviously, he's not going to shoot 60% from three on the season like he did on last Sunday. But if he's struggling, can he still get you 25% from three? Can he still be somewhat efficient for you and do some good things? Devin Cambridge, he's a guy that's going to be fun to watch. It's really going to be fun to watch all these guards. Between Isaacs, Cambridge, Toussaint, Chance McMillan, Lamar Washington. I'm interested to see how that rotation pans out. I think for the majority of these games, you're going to see three guards on the court at pretty much all times. Three true guards. Because you have five right now, five true guards that you can play and feel comfortable with. I mean, five of them got over 20 minutes in the game. So you're going to see a lot of three-guard sets with this team, which is nothing new for Texas Tech. I mean, that was pretty much the entire Chris Beard era, except for maybe the Final Four season. But looking a little bit further than that, can Warren Washington stay out of foul trouble? That's going to be a key. It, that's going to be a key that we're going to need to see. And I think that he kind of got screwed or jobbed on a couple of calls last or on Sunday. But can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he get you 25 to 30 minutes a game without being in foul trouble every single game? Obviously, it's going to happen a good amount. He's your only true big. He's going to be in foul trouble. He's kind of like... I don't want to use this comparison, but he's kind of T.J. Holyfield out there. He's better than T.J. Holyfield, but he's going to be on an island. You remember that T.J. Holyfield season, the COVID year, where he was really your only true big, and he took a lot of flack for it. A lot of it, I think, was undeserved. But can Warren Washington minimize that? Will him being on an island hurt you and can he get something on the offensive end he only took one field goal last game he went over one only took one field goal but can he get you up six points in this game if he can get you six points in this game i'd feel a lot better about him on the offensive end because he's really there more for defense but can he be a guy that can get you six points a game that's going to be a question and then what's Lamar Washington's role in this team? Because obviously Chance McMillan had a really good game. Pop Isaacs did too. So did Cambridge. Toussaint wasn't efficient shooting. He was only two for eight, but he got you 36 minutes. What's Lamar Washington's role going to be on this team? Is going to be something that we're going to learn. Really, we're not going to learn until the battle for Atlantis, but I'm excited to see how many minutes he gets in this game. Just because he was out there in the last two minutes of the game against AM. He was a proven player last year and or a young player last year, but he also wasn't one of Grant McCaslin's guys. And speaking on that, another two guys that weren't Grant McCaslin's guys, Kerwin Walton and Robert Jennings, especially Robert Jennings with his size. What's their role in this game? Will they get over 10 minutes in this game? You would assume they would because this should be a game that's out of reach early. 
I mean, A&M just beat them by over 30 points. But in the first 20, 30 minutes, are we going to see them get five to seven minutes? Uh, five minutes in the first half and then a couple minutes early in the second half. That's going to be a question because Robert Jennings is a guy that I think with your lack of depth in the bigs position, you're going to need to come on strong. So I want to see Robert Jennings get 10 to 15 minutes in this game. But enough on, well, not a meaningless basketball game, a basketball game that Texas Tech should clearly win. Just looking around the Big 12 last year, some interesting notes for me. Uh, So the game that, and by the way, the opening day slate was not good at all. It, it was a terrible slate. The really only game worth watching was USC at Kansas State. Before the game was played, obviously. We'll talk about Oklahoma State here in a minute. But USC at Kansas State, this did not look like a good Kansas State basketball team. Just, they didn't look like they had the same defensive identity that they had last year. Um I, I'm at a loss for what happened with Kansas State, and I'll tell you what, there's two guys that, now, it, I don't know if you count that Tyler Perry were in for him or not. Um, I'd lean in the camp that we, you know, it became Pop Isaacs versus Tyler Perry, and we took Pop Isaacs, and I look like an idiot last night for saying that Tyler, I would have taken Tyler Perry just for one year, but overall take Pop, because Tyler Perry did not have a good game last night. I mean, and then the other guy we were in for was Kaluma. There was a point in this game where they were a combined 3 for 22 from the field. And I don't know why. I was thinking Kaluma was a different number. And I was watching 24 on Kansas State and thinking, man, every time he takes a 3, it just looks terrible. Then he did a pull-up. He, he made like four bad plays. And I looked it up, and it was Kaluma who went 1 for 11. He took five threes. He had... He had one where he was one for 10, and he took a step-back jumper late in the game. It's like, oh, I'm I'm one for 10? All right, here's a step-back jumper. Tyler Perry also struggled really early. He ended up with 22 points, eight of them coming from free throws. He hit some threes later in the game, but, man, he looked pretty bad early in this game. Um, Obviously, Oklahoma State was really the only notable Result last night, West Virginia got a win. They covered. Uh, it was only an eight-point win. But Oklahoma State, my God, Mike Boynton, I, I don't know if this guy is going to survive the year. I mean, he keeps staying on because of his recruiting classes, and he started strong, and he got screwed a bit from the NCAA. But, man, that was like five years ago now. Or I guess it was only three years ago. But, man, Oklahoma State lost to Abilene Christians. I, Orange Big 12 schools and losing to Abilene Christian. I I don't know what to say about that, but Baylor plays Auburn tonight. That will be a good game. The spread on that one is actually now Auburn minus one and a half, which is a bit surprising considering Baylor's rank. But just going through this, there's not much you can tell about it. West Virginia got a win against a pretty decent Missouri State team. Uh, Texas doesn't even play a game or meaningful game until December. Iowa State, they looked pretty good. I mean, they had a freshman, uh, Momkilovich. I'm going to have to hear somebody pronounce that name for me. But BYU looked really good. They got a 110-63 win. Cincinnati only got an 11-point win. They're missing a couple guys due to the waiver process. I think this is going to be a really down year for Cincinnati. 
Oklahoma State already struggling early. TCU struggled a bit against Southern. They ended up with a 33-point win, so no concerns there. Really, you're not going to see much until um, BYU plays San Diego State later this week. I think that's going to be a good litmus test for BYU if they can keep that game close. Baylor, obviously, I believe has a good litmus test tonight. Really, Texas Tech, you're not going to get a litmus test until the battle for Atlantis unless you count that exhibition on Sunday. But oh, moving on from basketball, we have got to talk about this Big 12 schedule. So when the Big 12 announced, they were going with a four-year scheduling matrix. I thought, okay, this makes perfect sense. Nine conference games a year. You have 15 possible opponents. Three of them you can play every year. And then the other six you rotate. So you get to play every school twice in four years and go to every stadium in four years. And you get to keep your rivals. And my biggest fear was that one of our rivals would be Houston and not Oklahoma State. And... My God, my biggest fear did not come true. Something worse came true. You do not play TCU or Baylor in 2025. You have no rivals that you keep. You play Oklahoma State three times, which I'm glad we're not playing them twice, but I don't think that's worth losing two games with Baylor for. And then you play Houston three times instead of four times. which I would have been fine just playing Houston twice, but it makes no sense to me. There are four protected rivalries. And now, I get it. The four protected rivalries are the Arizona schools, the Utah schools, TCU, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State. That makes perfect sense. Why not give every school three protected rivals? Even if you didn't want to do the pod system, you could have given Houston, TCU, and Baylor and given Texas Tech, Oklahoma State instead. I Even if you didn't want to do the pods. And then you could have kept Houston with UCF. I mean, even the pods would have worked out well. You could have had your four former or three of your four former Pac-12 schools with BYU in there. And BYU does play Arizona State and Arizona a decent amount already. And then you could have had, okay, your old Big 8. You could have had Oklahoma State. TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor. Then you could put Houston over with the Eastern schools. And that would have been just fine. That would have been just fine. Houston wouldn't have liked it, but oh well, they're Houston. They don't really, I, I mean, they're the 15th most important team in this league now. And you could have had West Virginia playing Cincinnati every year. I just do not understand why we did this with the scheduling matrix. And now you're missing out on Kansas State, Iowa State, which I will say for all the people up there complaining that that game's left off and why is TCU Baylor in here? Guys, TCU Baylor, that, that, that is a legit rivalry and Kansas State already had a protected rival. The problem is the Big 12 didn't need to do this. What? We get to play Cincinnati three times now. We get to play West Virginia three times now. Ooh, honestly, honestly, who cares if we get to play them three times? I don't I, I don't care at all if we play those schools three times. Give us two times. Give us once every four years we go to Morgantown. Once every four years we go to Cincinnati, then they come back here. But 
just killing off Texas Tech playing TCU and Baylor every year. And we already did this year with us killing off Tech playing Oklahoma State. It just makes absolutely no sense to me why we went this route. And it was completely, completely unnecessary by the Big 12 to do this. I mean, rivalries are supposed to be important. You don't have West Virginia playing Cincinnati, the two schools that have Big East history with each other. Why aren't they playing every year? Why isn't... Why aren't the Texas schools playing every year? Why don't you put the old Big 8 schools together minus Oklahoma State? You can have them play in the Texas schools instead. Why aren't they playing every year? It just makes absolutely no sense. I mean, shoot, even if we had to negotiate on who our third rival is, if we weren't going to get Oklahoma State, we could have got Arizona. We could have got Colorado. Just anything. Anything for protected rivalries. And the Big 12 just completely... Miss the mark with this one. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Text Tech Edition of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm on a trip and I do not have my my charger with me and now I'm on 22%. So we'll see if we get this one out on Wednesday night or on Thursday night. It will be one of those two to preview the game against Kansas. It is a, basically a military laptop that has two batteries in it. So We'll likely have this one out after the game on Wednesday night. But this is going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll be recapping a win next time we're talking. And we'll be previewing the big game in Kansas.